as we talk about from First John chapter 2, don't love the world. Don't love the world. Let's uh, pray together one more time before we get started. Uh, Father, as we continue through our series this evening through First John, I pray, Lord, that... Um, that you would help us just feel John's heart, Lord, and his love for the, the church. And I pray, Lord, that you, would, that you would help us, Lord, to take the right perspective, God, concerning the world. That we would not love it, Lord, not, not, the, not the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, or the pride of life, God. But that we would love the world that is to come. And that it would be there, Lord, that we would put all of our hope. So help us, Lord, to be otherworldly people this evening. And we ask you things in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can, you can turn to, to 1 John chapter 2. And um, uh, tonight John's going to be talking about uh, don't love the world. Don't love the world, and it's, um, you know, that's a tough one, because we as human beings, as created beings, as physical beings, you know, we, we, we tend to focus on what we can see with our two eyes, feel with our two hands, but the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight, and so we are truly uh, otherworldly people, and the Bible uses the language of us being shh. Uh, aliens, strangers, sojourners, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about immigration these days, but the Bible says that we now live in a country that's not, that's not where our citizenship finally lies. And so how, how do we live as those who belong to another world? Uh, that's, that's a little bit what I want to talk about this evening. So, if you have a Bible and you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word from 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Just three verses tonight. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of his father, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The word of God. You may be seated. You know what, I, I hate to do this, but I'm sitting here thinking it may be really helpful if y'all have a PowerPoint. Stephen, if I hand you my jump drive, could you? Thank you, brother. Sorry about that. It's just going to be a lot easier for y'all to see the scripture on the screen. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> okay, so I want to see three things from our, passages, uh, our passage tonight. Number one, don't love the world. This is straight from the text. Don't love the world. Because God's love is not in the one who loves the world. Number two, don't love the world because the world and its desires are passing away. And number three, don't love the world because the one who does the will of God abides forever. 
So first, number one, don't love the world because God's love is not in the one who loves the world. Don't love the world because God's love is not in the one who loves the world. That's what he says there in verse 15. Do not love the world or things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so uh, it's very straightforward. His, his point here is that um, the, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and why is that? How, how is that true? Well, he tells us it's true because he tells us what the world is. In verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, Verse 16, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the world is comprised of these three things in John's mind. And we're going to talk about those later. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, but these things are not from the Father, but they're from the world. And so in other words, so again, so there's this distinction. There's these three things that the world contains. They're not from the Father. They're from the world. So if you love those things... And they're not from the Father. That means, John says, that the love of the Father then is not in you. And so to understand what he means, we've got to kind of get some definitions under our belt here. First, when John says, don't love the world, what does he mean by don't love the world? I mean, it's, a, it's an important question to ask. What, what does John mean by world, right? Because, because, what's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. So what's John talking about when he says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world? What's he talking about? Well, we have to read it in context and have to try to think critically about what John is saying here. And I think it's quite obvious since he's saying, do not love the world or the things of the world. He's clearly putting it in a negative, in a negative context. He's putting the world in a, in a negative context. And uh, in 1 John and in the book of John, part of John's theology is he says he, he refers to the devil as the ruler of this world, the ruler of this world. OK, and so I believe in given the negative context of this command and given the in other places where John talks about the world, when John says do not love the world, what he means by world here is the is the sphere of Satan's reign or the realm of Satan's rule. Last time we talked about how John said that the darkness is passing away and that the true light is already shining and that this and that word, he says, for passing away, that, that the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, it's the same word he uses in verse 17 when he says the world is passing away. So I, I think there's, he's creating a parallel there. And that is that the world, it, it, the way John's speaking about it here, is that the world is that same realm. It's the, it's the world of darkness. It's the realm of darkness where Satan rules, but that world is passing away. It's that, it's that realm of life where people do not love and serve God, but they are blinded by the devil. And they are living in their own desires rather than desire to please the Lord. And so that, that is the world. This is the realm of Satan, who, by the way, Christ has defeated and who is now putting away. And so now what I want to look at is the specific things that John says are of the world here, these three specific things. 
The first thing that he's forbidding us is the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. So what is you know what does that mean? John John doesn't give us a lot of detail here, but what does that mean? Well, if you look in John and in the Gospel of John, he uses the word flesh, um, the overwhelming usage of his of his of the word flesh does not necessarily have a negative connotation, often like we find in the Apostle Paul. So, for example, lots of times when Paul, in his writings, uses the word flesh, it has a, oftentimes it has a negative connotation. You know, we, we say things like, oh, oh, I was walking in the flesh the other day. No one will admit to that, I guess, but, uh, you know, it's true. <laughs> we walk in the flesh. It's a negative connotation, right? Well, John doesn't necessarily use it negatively primarily. It's more, it, it also, of course, just means our physical bodies, our physical natures, and that's John's primary usage. At the same time, however, he's clearly forbidding or saying don't love these things of the world, don't love the desires of the flesh, so he's clearly giving the whole thing a negative connotation. So what I think what he's saying here about the desires of the flesh is that it are, they are those illicit physical desires or cravings of the body. That is, in that sense, it is similar to Paul's usage. It is those, it is those illicit passions or desires that arise out of us from, from the fact that we dwell in, in a fallen physical state. In a fallen physical state. So, of course, the, uh, the most obvious example of this would be uh, illicit sexual desire or, or perversion. But I think we could also include things like a drunkenness or, or, or addictions, or, or, you know, any kind of addiction, or even things like anger. These are the things that there are passions associated with living in a, in a physical body that has a sin nature. And so what, what John is saying here that, then, that these desires, he says, they're not, from the, they're not from the Father, he says, but they're from the world, that is that they're not part of the way that we were meant to be. They arise because we live, because we are born with a fallen nature and live in a sinful world. But the difference is that is, is in Christ, we are now empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the true light is already shining. The light of Christ already lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and is already dispelling the darkness of sin in our lives so that the sin and Satan no longer hold sway in our hearts. And so we're being recreated, and so these things are being put off. So these, these sinful passions, these, these physical urgings and desires that we feel, they're, not, they're being put away by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what, one of the things we learn from this, from what John is teaching us here, is that common mantra of today, that, that if it feels right, then you should do it. Because, it, you know, it feels right. That the Bible just clearly says that it's just not true. Because he says the desires of the flesh, the desires of the body. That is, John is saying that there are things that you will want that are not right for you to want. Even though it feels natural for you to want them. It is, my child naturally wants to eat chocolate cake all day. But he doesn't know it'll kill him. Right? And so it's the same thing. Every desire, everything that feels natural as part of a physical, fleshly desire doesn't mean that it's right. And that's what he's saying. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. 
And if we love those things, if we love the things God forbids, even when he says it will destroy you, it will kill you, that's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And, and if, the, if the love of those desires of the flesh rules in our lives, then the love of Christ can't. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't love two things the most. <laughs> you either love God the most and therefore you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him, or you love your desires the most and you embrace them and you reject God. And so John here forbids the desires of the flesh. And next he talks about the desires of the eyes. Let us not love the desires of the eyes. Eyes in the Bible are often associated uh, with greed and with covetousness. For example, Proverbs 22.9, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Okay? Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. So I just want you to think about that verse. Okay? The word bountiful there is a, it's a translation. The, the Hebrew word is very simply uh, good. Whoever has a good eye will be blessed. Why? Because he shares his bread with the poor. So, so you have to kind of put yourself in this. Uh, it's, a, it's a Hebrew, you know, it's, it's just kind of the type of language, the kind of metaphor that they use. It's a little foreign to us, but it's the way that they would talk. To have a good eye, to have a good eye means you're a generous person. Right? It means, it means you see the world, the world clearly as it is. That is that the things of this earth can't ultimately satisfy the longings of your heart. So you're, you're not controlled by them. You're not controlled by material things because you have a good eye. So you're free then to be generous with them. You're not, you're not always looking, coveting other things, thinking, if I just had that, then I'd finally be happy. So the, there's a strong connection between the eye and, and, um, and greed or covetousness. In Proverbs 27, 20, it says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. And so it's in this light, then, it's, it's in this Old Testament background that we can actually understand what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. And maybe you've kind of wondered this, and this was, this was honestly, it was quite confusing to me till I, I kind of saw this uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, about the eye, but this is what Jesus says in Matthew six nineteen. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy... Your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Perhaps like me, you've wondered, what does eye and light and darkness have to do with money? Right and loving God and, and storing up treasure in heaven, it just seems to kind of just be thrown in there. But when you understand the Old Testament background, it actually makes sense. He says, he kind of he says it is with the eye. Basically, with the eye we see clearly, and with our eye, if there is light, right, we have to have light to be able to see with our eyes. So if we have a healthy eye, that is an eye that is full of light, 
What kind of light? Well, the light of the truth, the light of the gospel, the light of eternal realities. If we have light in our eyes and are healthy, that means we will see things as they truly are. That means we, that we won't covet because we'll see, as I said, that the, the, these fleeting temporal material things of the earth don't, don't, can't satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. So we won't look to them. We won't covet them. We won't, we won't put too much stock in these fleeting things. And what will that do? It will free us then to be generous. But, he says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. That is, if your eye is bad and it's full of darkness, what he's saying is that then you can't see. And in other words, you know, if your eye is bad in the sense that, like, you see things and you want them because you, you see these fleeting material things, but rather than seeing it as you is, you think, oh, man, if I just had that. I'd be happy if I just had that, if I just had a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, then I'd finally get where I'm trying to be in life. And you look to those, you look to those fleeting things. He says, how great is that darkness? Because, because later Paul would say, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. I mean, you look at all the things going on in the world, all the things going on in politics and all the virtue signaling and all the things of saying, we want to do this, we want to do this to be righteous. Well, you know, people are going to present themselves as righteous as they possibly can because they want others to think well of them. But at the end of the day, most people follow the almighty dollar. Lots of these businesses that are positioning and lobbying, saying, let's do this and let's do that. At the end of the day, they're still not going to do anything that's going to hurt their bottom line. I think we'd be astounded. In other words, when you love money, when you love stuff, you will do all kinds of things. You will step on all kinds of people. You will pursue all kinds of things. It will hinder you from being generous because you think, well, I just, I can't spare it because I have this, this, and this plans when really you can. But in your mind, you can't because it's, it's got a hold on you. C.S. Lewis said, prosperity knits a man to the world he thinks he is he thinks he is finding his place in it when really it is finding its place in him and so it's a great darkness if we're if our eyes are bad if we have the if we're controlled by the desires of the eyes that's why you said you can't serve both both god and money and that and, and so it, it it just all ties in together you see, Jesus, Jesus is actually for our eternal good here, right? He's saying, store your treasure in heaven. Well, how do you store treasure in heaven? By being generous in Jesus' name, right? By being generous in Jesus' name and for his sake. That's how you store treasure in heaven. Because what? Because Jesus is just, he's, he's a realist. And, and real, reality is this. When you die, you're going to leave everything behind. Every single thing that you own is going to be here and you're going to be up and you're going to go to God. And it's going to stay right here. You can't take it with you. But everything that you did, every act of generosity that you did out of faith in Christ and love for others, guess what? You gave that to God. And when you get to heaven, everything you did, everything we just, all material stuff will be left behind. But when you get to heaven, the things you gave for the sake of Christ, guess what? It's going to be sitting there waiting on you. And moth and moths can't destroy it and thieves can't steal it. And, and, and it'll be there forever with you. We must beware the desires of the eyes, right? When Eve was tempted by Satan, 
it says that she looked at the fruit and she says it was desirable to eat. It looked good. So the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and finally, John says the last thing that characterizes the world is the pride of life. Is the pride of life. The world the word life there, um, what it really refers to is the character or quality of our living. The character or quality of our living. And in many places it carries the connotation of wealth or resources. Of wealth or resources. So just to give you an example, we use the word sometimes like this. Somebody's got a good job and we say, he makes a good living. Right? We're using the word living as a, as a, as it has a financial or material kind of connotation to it. Right? It's, it's, it's a similar thing in the Greek. Um, it's a, the, the, lot, the word there he uses, the pride of life, is a character or quality of our living. For example... Um, uh, in, the, in the story of the widow who Jesus praised uh, for putting, uh, it says, all that she had to live on, right, in the offering box. And he praised her saying, well, see, these people have given out of their abundance, but see, she just put in those two copper coins, but it was all she had to live on. That's the same word. It's the same word. It, all her living, all her living went into that box. And so, and so, I think then what Jesus is talking about or, or what John is talking about here is the pride of life is that pride that's associated with kind of our, our, our standard of living and our status in life. Uh, for example, in Luke eight fourteen, Jesus says, talks about the, the parable of the, the, the different kinds of soils. And he says, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Pleasures of life. I think that's what John is, uh, John is getting at. There's, there's a pride. There's a kind of pride and distraction that kind of come from living well, right? Of having a good living, of living in the right neighborhood, of having an attractive house, of knowing the right people, of going to the right schools, of having the right kind of power or acclaim or influence or clout, in your family, or your workplace, or your community. There's a certain type of pride that comes with having a certain type of position or rank, or where, or, or where you, you desire certain types of people to respect you or to admire you. There's a certain type of pride that attends that. I don't know what word y'all use for it here, but when I was growing up, you know, we called it cathead, right? It wasn't name brand. When you, where you wanted you wanted the you wanted the authentic check on your shoes, the Nike, the real deal, right? Or else what? Or else you, the kids at school would make fun of you, right? Well, what is that? It's the pride of life. I gotta I gotta have certain things. I gotta have a certain standard of living. I gotta have the certain a certain type of kid to like me in middle school because I care so much about it now. I got to live in the right kind of neighborhood. I got to have this certain type of position. That I got to have these type of people respect me. There's this pride that comes with our life where we kind of find it, finding our identity in the place that we have in the life of the kind of people that, that ad- admire us or respect us or the kind of friends that we have or the kind of positions that we, that we uh, work in. 
is these things that we can pursue, pursue, pursue. And that's what people do, right? That's what people do. They pursue, pursue, pursue. If I just get there, if I could just reach that place, if I could just get this person to like me, if I could, you know, if I could, if I could just achieve this, this, this kind of dream, this kind of position, this kind of life for myself that I have, that then I'll be really happy. And a lot of people think that. And a lot of people believe that. And a lot of people work their tails off pursuing that. And when they get there, they realize it's still empty. It's the pride of life. And John says, if you love these things, if you love the world, he says, the love of God is not in you. That is, love of the world and, the, and love of God are incompatible. They're incompatible. James chapter 4, verse 4, James says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know? <clears throat> I mean, it's very simple. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but it's, it's very simple. It's, it's, it's unbelief. It's, it's, it's just a false view of reality. It's that sinful deception that thinks that this, this thing or this job or this kind of life or this kind of lifestyle will really make me happy and it just misses the whole point because you forget that it was God who made you. And that, is, and that God is the one who knows you intimately inside and out and it is only God who can satisfy that gaping hole that you're chasing after to fill. It's only God's the only one who can fill it and it's only in His presence that there's fullness of joy. And it's only at his right hand that there are pleasures forevermore. But look, if you pursue it anywhere else, if you pursue it anywhere else, you're basically saying, God, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks for your stuff. But I'm going to do me. And that's what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or anything else. You only got room, you only got room for one <laughs> ultimate in your life. And whenever that ultimate is, you're pursuing it. You're running after it. That's what, it, that's what, you, that's what you're after. And there's only, there's, there's only one throne and only one thing can sit on it. The question is, who, who's on it? Who, what, what is that thing that we're bowing down to in our hearts, believing Man, if I just have this, I'll be there. If it's not God, we're in trouble. All these things, he says, if we love them, the love of God is not in us. You know, I believe that there is no being in existence that is happier than the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever thought about that? There is no one in existence who is happier than Jesus Christ. Why? Because, because he is in perfect, unfettered relationship with his Father. 
and his father loves him and he loves his father and there's absolutely nothing in between them and they're going to delight in the love that they have with one another in perfect relationship forever and he knows that he in his life he was perfectly obedient even unto death and he offered his life perfectly out of love and hope and joy and glory in his father and now he gets to share in that joy and that perfect relationship with God forever. And the point is, is that like Christ, we were made to be satisfied in an unbelievable personal friendship, relationship with God Almighty, where we have the freedom of intimacy without fear because we know that our sins have been forgiven and that we are in perfect, united relationship with Him. And that is the only thing that can satisfy our hearts. But it only comes through Christ and not through the things of the world. So number one, don't love the world because God's love is not in the one who loves the world. Number two, don't love the world because the world and its desires are passing away. The world and its desires are passing away. As we talked about this morning, the present order of things, John says, uh, is temporary. It's temporary. That should encourage us. The way it is now is not the way it's always going to be. It's passing away. But if that's true, if that's true, then that should change the way we live. Of course, it has to, right? Because if we really believe that this world is passing away, then what you're going to do? You're not going to put your stock in it. You're going to invest in the things that last forever. If, if there's this big company, and I, and I tell you, I say in five years, that company is going to be bankrupt. It's not going to exist. Are you going to say, okay, let me invest? We know this world is passing away, yet what do we do? We just keep on pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. But it's not going to be here. It's going to be gone. It's going to pass away. In fact, Jesus said it already is happening in John 12, 31. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. That is, Jesus, Jesus has already defeated Satan. The work is already done. It, it, the light is here. Christ, Jesus, Satan has already been defeated and he's already passing away. And soon, the kingdom of Satan will be swallowed up by Christ and his kingdom. And that's the vision that John saw in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. He says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So, since the world and its desires are passing away, let's put all our hope in our stock in the world that is to come. You know, it's worth reflecting on again a little bit like we did this morning. To think about the world that is coming. A world that is free from sin. I mean, it's just astounding if you think about it. You just think about today and just how, you know, I was just aggravated. <laughs> the way people think and the way people treat each other and the way people talk. But, you know, that's just not the way it's always going to be. We are guaranteed a place in the world where there will be no more mistrust. One day in the 
in the world free from sin, it will not, it will not even enter my mind to question whether the person I'm talking to is telling me the truth. I won't have to worry about it. I won't have to think about it. We will be made new. Our hearts will be so perfectly pure that everything will, there will be perfect love and humility and, and service for God and for one another. That it's just, it's almost unbelievable. There will be a, it'll be a world, with, a world without fear, a world without worry, a world without anxiety. A world without sorrow. Because all these former things are passing away. And a lot of this, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 13. He says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You know, Paul said the day is far, uh, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. He said that 2,000 years ago. What does that mean? It means it's got to be, it's got to be close. Whatever it means, it means it's 2,000 years closer than it was. It's at hand. So then what? So then let us put off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, in other words, Paul is saying this. You're already a citizen of another kingdom. That kingdom hasn't fully come yet. But look, go ahead and live as who you already are. You already are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You already are a citizen of light. Then go ahead and live in the light. Go ahead and live now one day at, in a world of sin as you will one day live in a world free from sin. That's the light that we can shine in the world. So don't love the world because God's love is not in the one who loves the world. Number two, don't love the world because the world and its desires are passing away. And number three, don't love the world because the one who does the will of God abides forever. That's what he says in verse 17. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. In that quote I read this morning from C.S. Lewis, he said, he said, you've never met a mere mortal. That's shocking if you think about it. We see material things and we think that's always going to be there. And if you live long enough, you realize that's not true. But there are some enduring things that we think, oh, that's always going to be there. You know, we look at a mountain and we say that's always going to be there. We look at the Grand Canyon and we say that's always going to be there. The Bible says you're going to last longer than the Grand Canyon. The Bible says you're going to last longer than Mount Everest. If the Lord wills it, enough time will pass. Mount Everest will be a molehill, but you're still going to be around. Because we were made eternal beings by an almighty God. That's astounding. And not just that, but specifically, John has something specific in mind. He says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. I won't read it for time's sake, but you know the story that Jesus told. There are two kinds of people. One built his house on the sand. One built his house on the rock. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, whoever hears my words and does them, he is like the person 
who built his house on the rock. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, he's saying what John says, whoever does the will of God abides forever. You'll last, you'll endure. When the time comes, when the time of judgment comes, you won't be swept away by the flood. But you'll stand secure because you have done the will of God. And so, um, and so as followers of Christ, that's our challenge and encouragement tonight. Let us flee from the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's subtle. It's alluring. We should think about it and think about, Lord, how has these things crept into my life? Lord, where is it that you, where is it that I have loved this world and the things of this world? And say, God, help me. God, help me to love you and not these things of this world. And help me be this one, this one who does what? Who obeys the will of God and abides forever. Abides forever. Because that's the hope that we have in Christ, that, that this world is fleeting but that we are destined for a world that will last forever. And, um, and that's going to be a wonderful place. And I want to see you there. And some of you, might, some of you your mansion is going to be a little bit bigger than mine. And I'm going to come over and visit. I want you to smoke me a good chicken, okay? And we're going to have a good time. Um, but see, that's the hope. That's the joy. That's the joy. That's the pure and holy relationship and friendship and joy that can only be found when we have Jesus Christ, when we love him above everything else, because it's only in that world, in a world free from sin, that that joy can be had forever. And I want to share in that joy with you. And if you don't know that joy, you can find it today by turning from your sins and following Christ and and become who you were made to be, a born again redeemed, forgiven child of God. Let's pray. Thank you for this evening. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for the